Good morning, Christ Central. I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving Sunday. And I know for a lot of us, it might not quite feel like the holidays. Uh, there's just so much that we couldn't have expected this year. But I also want to remind us that there's so much still to be thankful for. And as we read and spend more time in God's word together, we're reminded that all of this is still true. And so that's where we're going to turn now. Our passage today is from Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 and 17. We're continuing in our spiritual warfare series. Would you give your full attention as we read God's word together? And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. That's God's word for us today. I want to begin by asking you to imagine yourself in a, in a story, right? You're a, a rich heiress of a big time corporation, like you are rich, you can do whatever you want, you're famous, you're attractive, you're adventurous. And so you decide to go paragliding. You go paragliding and you end up crash landing in a foreign place, a place that is very different from home. And you're trying to do anything that you can to get back. But in the process, you you meet a guy. You meet a guy. And he's at first a little rough around the edges, kind of annoying, but in time, it's a little endearing. Maybe he's a little attractive too, and you fall in love, and the plot thickens. Right, some of you, if you love Netflix and Korean dramas, you know that this is the plot of Crash Landing on You. A lot of our college students had a phase where they were so obsessed with this drama. It's one of the few that I've watched and, and it, it's captivating, right? It brings you in. Now let's put a twist on this. Let, let's look at a story, another story this way. A rich heir who possessed all authority in heaven goes on a, a journey to a foreign place. You see, he doesn't crash land randomly, but he goes there intentionally. And he does that because he's fallen in love as well. And he does whatever he can to get back home. He's trying to get back home, but he will not go back without his beloved. And for him, love is not something that you have to prove, not because you're so attractive or charming, but it's because he chooses and commits himself to you. And the plot thickens, right? This, as many of you know, if you've read the Bible, it's one way of explaining the Bible story. Now, why do I do this? You know, I tell these stories to show that there's something unique and special about being immersed 
in a story, right? Both of these are stories and both of these tell us something about love, right? We empathize and identify with the characters and these stories compel and they captivate us. You see, stories are powerful. Stories frame expectations of what we hope happens to us. They shape public thought, public opinion. Stories have significant influence on the systems, the structures, on our social imagination. And it helps us to make sense of the reality around us. We see ourselves in these characters. We begin to adopt their values, their goals. And we want to We want the story to be true for us so that we ourselves start actually living it out. You see, we behave according to what it is that we believe. Ashley Knoll, uh, he describes Thomas Cramer's view of humanity this way, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And the point is that we as human beings are not primarily beings that think, but we are beings that love. We are heart-led creatures. We're led by our heart and reason comes afterward, right? That's why we have things like confirmation bias, where if I really want something to be true, I'm going to set the bar of evidence and proof for it really low, right? That person, that celebrity Tweet it or post it about it. Hey, I believe it. It's true. I'm going to repost it. Right? Or if we really don't want something to be true, if we really don't want to believe it, then hey, I'm going to be fact checking you until the end of the year. Right? We're constantly going to be looking up counterpoints and to ways to poke hole in your story and your narrative. And even if your reason seems to be on point, hey, I just, I, I just don't feel like that is right. right? I, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. You see, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart at the end of the day. And today, that is my goal, our target, to captivate our heart with a better story, a true story, a story that is captivating and compelling, a compelling cosmic story. Second Corinthians 10 verses three to five, it reads this. For though we walk in the flesh, We are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This word for arguments is logismas. And it can be translated reasonings, imaginations, speculations. And you see, the Bible knows very well that at the end of the day, our thoughts, our reasonings are led by our hearts. And so being immersed in the story brings us into a a narrative. It it brings us into a, a reality. And this, this is warfare. Because you end up living out the story you love. And stories change the world. The book of Revelation, it uses apocalyptic symbolism to paint us a picture, to give us a story, to captivate and compel us by pulling the curtains back and giving us a bird's eye view of what is happening. 
that behind our physical and material realities lie spiritual realities, spiritual forces that are shaping our day to day. There's a cosmic war that is being waged. And so today, for spiritual, as we continue our spiritual warfare series, I want to tackle it from this angle. That believing the right story is spiritual warfare. It's a battle for your heart. And so to do that, we're going to look, at, just think of a GPS, right? You zoom out that 30,000 foot aerial view, that drone shot. We're going to call this looking at the story from above. And then we're going to zoom in and we're going to hone into an on the ground uh, uh, root by root point of view, a turn by turn point of view. So first, the story from above, and then we're going to look at the story on the ground. And we're going to start by zooming out and seeing the big picture. The big picture that Revelations paints for us, the view from heaven, where the curtain is pulled back and we get to see the entire landscape, the terrain. Revelations chapter 12 and 13, these uh, two chapters are together as one entire section. Encourage you guys in your own time, read it. It's super interesting. But to summarize, it's really a story that traces entire biblical history. It goes all the way back to the beginning, to the first humans, to Adam and Eve. And it dramatizes Genesis 3.15, what happens there when Adam and Eve sin, sin enters the world and God gives this curse, a prophetic curse about the serpent. Let's read this. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This passage is what gets fleshed out the entire Bible. You see these two lines, the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent played out in a dramatic way. From the very beginning, you got Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, you see these two family lines, these two lineages. And just because your biological family doesn't necessarily mean that you are true spiritual family. You see, from the book of Revelation, we get this perspective of black and white. Everything is black and white. Good versus evil. Seed of the woman versus seed of the serpent. A future of eternal death and a future of eternal life. It shows this cosmic battle being waged out with eternal implications and it portrays my life, your life in this way that this is our reality. So let's define the characters. Let's look at our story. I want to give us some background and then we're going to get into our specific verses today. But Satan is symbolized by a dragon, right? The serpent, Satan. Now the dragon, that's, that's meant to, to convey something, right? When you think of a dragon, you, you think of a formidable foe, right? It's not some um, weak and scrawny opponent. And when you, especially when you line up a dragon against a woman, against a human being, if you put them in the ring together, who you got, right? It seems pretty clear that the Bible is trying to paint it this way, that Satan is a formidable foe. And without help, we have no hope. There's no chance. 
You see, Satan as a dragon is trying to devour the seed of the woman. He's trying to devour Eve's uh, seed, which is ultimately Jesus, but he is defeated. And as he's defeated, he and his demons are thrown down to exile to the earth. And really their defeat in the spiritual realm corresponds to what happened in the physical realm. You see that Jesus conquered over the forces of the evil one and he conquered over death. That we would see uh, Satan, the serpent, bruise the heel, but notice he would only bruise the heel. It would not be a mortal decisive blow, but in turn, Jesus would crush the head. He would deliver the fatality. And so the divine irony is that where Christ conquered death through his death and that he would in turn resurrect to secure for us life, eternal resurrection life. That in his moment of utter humiliation on the cross, that would serve as a basis for our exaltation of him. And he would secure for us salvation, salvation to all who believe in the name of Jesus, what he has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And now our passage today comes in where Satan's plans have been foiled in heaven. His attacks have been foiled against the male child, Jesus. And now he directs his attention, his efforts against the woman, the church. Now this is important. Why? Because this is our time period. This is our story. And I want us to get immersed in this now. In verse 13 and 17, Satan gives chase to the church, right? He's chasing this woman and early readers of this, of this book of revelation would have linked, would have, it would have provoked imagery reminiscent of Exodus where God was leading his people. They would have to go through the wilderness and fresh on their tails was Pharaoh, right? They were going uh, through Egypt and leaving Egypt. Pharaoh was after them. And the same language is used in Exodus 19.4 when it says God would deliver his people on eagles' wings. That this exodus wouldn't, would be different because this is not an exodus out of Egypt. This exodus would be out of eternal death, out of hell. Verse 14 of our passage, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. What is all of that? Well, let's look into it. Wilderness. Wilderness used to be a place in the Old Testament considered a place of curse. And here God flips it around and he says, even though you're in the wilderness, I'll continue to nourish you. You see, this frames our reality, our expectations, does it not? That we are in a time of wilderness, that this world is not our home. And so we are in the world, but not of the world. And it's a whole lot more like a wilderness wandering. A wandering until we finally get to our true promised land. And until then, God is going to continue to nourish us. It frames our expectations to not be surprised when suffering and loss and death occur in this life. 
because God never promises to not spare us from suffering, but to secure our faith in the midst of it. You see, although we may be physically vulnerable, we will be spiritually safe. I might even go so far to say suffering gets repurposed. It's repurposed, retooled for our good and our growth. And so in moments in our life when we're disappointed, these disappointments are meant to point to a future that won't disappoint. Disappointments in this world fuel hope for the next. A time and times and half a time, what is that? Well, many scholars will say you can look at it as three and a half years. Three and a half years in other places in Revelation, they use the same time frame and explain it with different vocabulary. There's 42 months, there's 1,260 days, and this all refers to the same time period. And Dennis Johnson, he, uh, he explains it this way about what that time period represents. The time period symbolized in 1,260 days encompasses the church's ongoing experience of suffering and safety, bold testimony and bitter trial, alienation in the deserts, but nourishment from God from the time of Jesus's ascension to heaven until the trauma that precedes his glorious return. In other words, ever since the book of Acts, we've been in this time, this time period, and we will be, we will continue to be in it until Jesus returns. Verse 15 and 16 of our passage, a serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. This flood water that had come out of his mouth. What is that? Well, it's important to notice what Uh, the significance of mouths and words in Revelation, that even Jesus is, is pictured with a sword coming out of his mouth. And the point is that stories, words are powerful, that words wage war, that words are weapons. And so the floodwaters represent the deceptive teaching that would, if believed, drown the church's faith. Right? These are false stories. These are false religions, counterfeit stories. Stories like, you're, you're good enough. You're fine. You're good enough to go to heaven on your own. You don't need God. You don't need to change. Right? There's stories like, you're so bad. God would never forgive you. You're hopeless. There's stories that say, you can get right with God tomorrow. So just do whatever you want today. You always have tomorrow. YOLO, right? Do your thing today. And don't sweat it. These are false stories. And even though Satan tries to drown us with these false narratives, the Lord will both nourish and protect. And he promises that not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church and the earth would swallow up these floodwaters. Right? God would shield his church, his beloved, from uh, not necessarily from physical violence, but definitely from spiritual destruction. So now that we got a, a big view, the big picture of the story, let's zoom in. And we're going to finish with the story on the ground. Because our day-to-day, it looks a lot different, right? It feels like in our day-to-day, there's a lot more gray. 
What should I do? What decisions should I make? Who should I talk to? These seem so gray. How do we navigate this story on the ground in real time? And this is where I think verse 17 helps us. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. You know, we talked about defining the characters. And I think one of the important questions to ask about this story is, which character are you? Right? Which one are you? That's pretty important, wouldn't you say? Are you part of the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent? And how do you know? And this is where verse 17 gives us these two important principles that I want to just flesh out for the remainder of the time as we are on the ground to pay attention to these two things, keep the commandments of God and second, hold to the testimony of Jesus. So first, keep the commandments of God. I think today we're very used to mediums of just watching things, right? Netflix, YouTube, uh, social media, we're, we're passive watchers. And I think maybe perhaps some of that has rubbed off on our spiritual lives that we think if I just listened to that, if I just heard or read that, that's good enough. That's good enough for me. But watching is really easy. You don't have to change much. And I think Satan probably is really happy about that when we feel like we're making progress, we're doing well without having to change. To him, we're thinking we're participating in spiritual warfare when really we're not. We're sitting on the sidelines. Charles Spurgeon quotes this, these saints use the doctrine of atonement, not as a pillow to rest their weariness, but as a weapon to subdue their sin. You see, saving grace, it's not, it's not a free pass to just say, all right, Jesus did it all for me, so I'm good, I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything anymore. My life, I can just live it however I want it. You see, saving grace isn't a free pass to not put effort into changing, but saving grace is what empowers you to change. In fact, it's what guarantees you will, and you will for the better to look more like Jesus. And so it's not enough just to know the commandments of God. It's not enough just to know it, just to let our heads puff up, but we must keep them. We must live it out. And that's going to take effort. Second, hold to the testimony of Jesus. And with this point, I want to divide it into two, two observations. What holding to the testimony of Jesus means, it means first to hold to it yourself. That you have to hold to it yourself. You got to be immersed in this story. Right, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. And that takes time. It takes time to be immersed in a story. Where do you spend your time? Right, we all have the same amount of time. Where do you spend yours? How do you divide it up? I think in our culture today, we often focus on being efficient. Right? We want to be efficient and focus on quality time. Right? That we're making the most of every moment. But there's a baseline for any amount of time to really be quality time, right? If you're saying, ah, oh, I'm, I'm so close with this friend. I spend a solid quality time of five minutes a month with them. You know, I would 
I would go so far as to say, you guys are not close, right? Even, no matter how great those five minutes are, that's not enough time. Or maybe if you're a student and you just spend quality time studying before your final exam, one hour, right? one hour right before. But hey, that one hour, you're putting all your attention and focus, you're probably not getting the best grade. In other words, you see, when it comes to even when spiritual disciplines, you can have quantity without quality, but you can't have quality without quantity. To some degree, you could say quality time requires quantity, a good quantity of time. And if you're not spending a decent quantity of time in God's story, then you cannot expect to be shaped and formed by it. That's being naive. We don't treat that for anything else in our lives, whether it's work or school studying or practicing for a sport. Uh, It's naive to think that that would apply to our spiritual lives. Second, hold it out to others. Hold it out to others. You see, revelation separates the world into really two kinds of people. At the end of the day, its focus is on two kinds of people. It's not about nationality. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about gender. It's about spirituality. It's about which spiritual family you're a part of, the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent. I love the line from uh, Lilo and Stitch. I'm sure many of you know it. Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. And at the end of the movie, towards the end, when Stitch is about to go back, he makes this comment, this is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, but still good. Yeah, still good. You see, in Christ, you get a better family. One that you don't find on your own, but one that actually finds you. And it finds you through the telling of a story. Through missionaries, through churches, through those friends who share the word of God. And it's a family that started very little, but it's growing. And it's currently broken. Sure, it's got its problems, especially as you view it on the ground. But it's still good. And one day it'll be perfect. When we look at it from above that 30,000 foot view, oh, she'll be perfect. Until then, we go out holding out the gospel, looking for lost family. So how do you know you belong to the seed of the woman? That you're on the right side of this cosmic war? Well, those who belong to the seed of the woman believe in the seed of the woman, Jesus. They believe that this story is true of them, that he came for them. That he came to forgive us of our sins, to save us for heaven. And it becomes our story. And you only really get this story by giving it away. You have to give the story away to really get it. And our family grows as we tell this story. So maybe today, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe other stories haven't been really working out for you. And it hasn't satisfied your heart. There's something missing about it. It's not meeting those deep longings. Maybe today you're feeling the pull of this story, a cosmic, compelling story, a true story. 
Could it be that God is calling you to join the family? I hope you understand why we do missions and evangelism, why we share about the gospel. Because family means no one is left behind, and it's only once all family is brought home that the end will come. And so to God, the work of missions is not optional because leaving family behind is not an option. To find them is to tell a compelling cosmic story and it's to engage in spiritual warfare. Today, I want to end our time reminding you as we gather on Sundays that this isn't just a retreat. This is not a retreat from the world, but it's really a place to get rearmed for the spiritual battles ahead, for warfare that we have to be involved in. You see, we wage war on imaginations and arguments, thoughts of the heart. And on the ground, there's a direct relationship between our daily choices and the allegiances of our heart. Whether we are serving God, serving Christ, or serving the dragon. We are in the last days and we're called to hold the line. And Jesus promises, Jesus our King, that he will return soon. Oh, he's coming back soon to end this war once and for all so we can leave the wilderness and go home. I want to end with an excerpt from Glenn Scrivener's book, 321, The Story of God, The World, and You. Uh, A lot of these ideas from this have actually been inspired from him. And he says this, In the six weeks following Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to hundreds of people, giving them foretastes of the future. Every appearance showed us a snapshot of the life he offers beyond death. There were joy-filled reunions, peace and awe, plenty of meals, fascinating conversations. There were country walks, fishing with friends, barbecues on the beach, and Jesus at the center of it all. That's the life, isn't it? That's eternal life, according to Jesus. See, one day the gang will be all together, the seed of the woman since Genesis 3.15. All of us will be together again. You think about Martin Luther, Augustine, Apostle Paul, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll meet them. The faithful loved ones you lost. It'll be the greatest family reunion ever. But until then, keep on fighting the good fight. The fight to believe the the true, compelling, cosmic story to immerse ourselves in it and to know this is warfare. Let's pray. Father, uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Give us your spirit to perceive these spiritual realities. We know that our hearts are wicked, prone to wander, But we also know that our hearts are longing for a story, a story that will fulfill it, a story that is true, your story. Lord, would you impress it deep upon our hearts today? Help us to believe when we doubt and help us not just to know it, but to live it out, to keep your commandments. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.